All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's still a very powerful grip that my phone has on me that I will be doing nothing and I won't be able to tolerate the emptiness or the boredom. Not because I'm thinking so hard and it hurts and I just need something to... No, not, not because of any of that, but because I'm just so instinctively used to just grabbing my phone. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and note to self, changing habits is hard. No kidding. But what if scientists and other listeners could almost guarantee that the payoff would be worth it? That changing your smartphone habits would help you focus on what really matters to you in this crazy, accelerating world? That's the big promise I make in my brand new book, Bored and Brilliant. And it's what Jose, that guy you heard at the top, he's a listener and a college student, he's been testing that promise. Seven days of self-experimentation to help him rethink how he uses his technology, spend a little more time just getting bored, and seeing if he can unlock his most productive and creative self. Just to be clear, it's not like I made up this link between boredom and brilliance. I did a lot of interviews with neuroscientists, psychologists, marketers, and technologists, people who helped me put together an interdisciplinary understanding of what effects our technology is having on our brains and our behavior. The book includes all that, plus data and stories from the 20,000 listeners who did the week-long experiment with me in 2015. And if that includes you, thank you. So for the second of our two shows celebrating the metamorphosis of that podcast experiment into a book, one young person's attempt to get bored more often. Monday, July 17, 2017. This is J.I. Cruz, college student at American University, avid phone user, and this is my first day of the Bored and Brilliant Challenge. Challenge one. Observe yourself. I've been tracking my phone usage for the past week before starting this, and and it's scary. I'm averaging about two and a half, maybe sometimes even three and a half hours a day. One day, I used my phone for six hours. Six hours! That is about a third of my day. So I'm a chemistry researcher at my university. There's a lot of time lost in between experiments, time I could use to read more literature, time that I could use to think a little harder about what I want to do next. Challenge two, keep your phone out of reach while in motion. At least put it in your pocket or your bag. This challenge was a lot harder than I expected. I was amazed at how often I'd just take my phone out of my pocket out of habit. I wasn't even thinking about it. 
I'd be not doing anything. And then next thing you know, hands on my pocket, phones out of the pocket, and I'm staring at my phone. And then I notice and I have to slap my hand and put my phone back in my pocket. Challenge three, no photos. Don't take any. And if that's not your problem, then try no messages. No text messages. 5.23 a.m., Tuesday, July 18th, 2017. Today's challenge, photo free. I'll be focusing more on no messages. And you know what's funny? I've been awake for 10 minutes and I already failed this challenge because the first thing I did when I woke up was grab my phone, look at my home screen, saw that I had a message from a friend who messaged me at midnight and immediately texted them back. So yeah, way to go. I'm basically programmed by now just to pick up my phone. Once again, even though I underestimated yesterday the depth of how programmed I am to use my phone. I still feel confident. I just gotta stick to it. Almost burnt my pizza, so give me a second. Almost burnt myself. What else to say? I guess that's basically it. Challenge four, maybe the hardest one. Delete that app, the one that's driving you crazy. 7 a.m. Wednesday, July 19th, 2017. I've deleted the basics. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I want to be intentional about seeing how it feels to not have these apps today. I actually did feel a little bit nervous or anxious about not having notifications on my home screen. Suddenly I was kind of hoping or feeling an urge to have something to look forward to in these social networking sites. Challenge five, take a vacation. Tell people that you are not online right now. You are taking a break, even just for an hour, and cannot respond. I feel like so far, my improvements have been marginal, but it's in those little things here and there that I feel like the difference is being made, particularly in the rabbit hole situations where I see a notification and I go read the notification and that turns into reading other notifications. Right now, my boredom is kind of a scattered mess. Could be because I'm just not used to boredom. Challenge six, notice something. Just a little detail that you wouldn't see if you were looking at your phone. Hello, 7 a.m., July 21st, 2017. Bored and brilliant, and it kind of flew by, to be honest. I decided I wanted to go for a walk this morning. I'm on my way to a path or a little trail and a creek. This episode of Note to Self is brought to you by the cicadas in the Rock Creek Park National Forest. I don't only just want to take control of my phone usage, but that newfound downtime can be used efficiently. I'm gonna allow the universe to show me something I wouldn't have thought of. But then once I have noticed it, I'm gonna pay attention. There are times every day of the challenge where I have failed the challenge. It's still a very powerful grip that my phone has on me that I will be doing nothing and I won't be able to tolerate the emptiness or the boredom. Not because I'm thinking so hard and it hurts. No, not, not because of any of that, but because I'm just so instinctively used to just grabbing my phone. So I, I know I need to get better. Back to today. I've already started noticing a little things like on my way to this walk, the vast majority of people had headphones on and a lot of people who were jogging would be jogging with their phone on their hands for lack of a better place. And I just noticed that everyone with headphones on is living inside a, a little orb that's surrounding them. Like they can't hear everything that's happening outside. And I feel like that's part of the problem that, you know, no one just notices the world anymore. 
so I guess I'll tell you before I leave one of the ideas I had that I'm really excited about that I attribute to having more free time to just think about things. I've been meaning to come up with some sort of personal project that I can get behind on, that I can get really passionate about. And so one of the things I've been meaning to do for a while now is try to find a project that I can do to help people back home. I'm from Puerto Rico. There are a couple of environmental issues in the island right now at the top of the news. One of the main issues right now in the island is energy. There are these huge protests going on regarding pollution, fire from a coal power plant, and also our electricity provider. It's called the Authority of Electricity and Energy. They are completely bankrupt. So because of the fiscal crisis and other economic matters, people have been saying that it's very likely that we will be paying about 30 cents an hour for a long time coming. I thought a lot about church, Protestant church. I grew up in the church. I know how important they are to the community. I know how many people go to them. And I also know that the church is empty four out of seven days of the week. To get all the churches of the denomination I grew up in, to get 100% of them using solar by 2020. So this is an idea I'm really excited about. And I'm starting to put the people I need on the table to start discussing how we can get this done. And I'm really excited about doing this. And I don't know if it's just a coincidence that I had this idea during the Bored and Brilliant week, but I'm going to attribute part of it to just having been a little bored and thus been a little bit more brilliant. All right, I guess that's it for now. The final challenge, challenge seven, go get bored. There's no shadow of a doubt in my mind that this week of focused and intentional use of my phone has made me a much better steward of my time. My phone use has gone considerably down. I have read more. I have focused more on other interesting stuff around in my life. I've enjoyed just sitting in public transportation, just pondering about things. I feel much more human, and I don't know exactly how to explain that. I just do. I don't feel like I am experiencing my phone because I have to experience something. I feel like I'm living my life because that's what living things do and that I'm happy. So I guess that's the most important thing. All right. Bye. No way, Jose! You made it! (laughs) And I would say that you came out the other side the better for it. Solar power and personal reflection. Thank you again, Jose, for bearing your soul to us and giving Bored and Brilliant a try. Okay, coming up, Dr. Mary Helen Imordino-Yang, middle school teacher turned brain researcher, says that your experience makes total neurological sense. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is the second of our two episodes celebrating the release of our book, Bored and Brilliant. I would like to introduce you to Mary Helen Imordino-Yang. Mary Helen is a seventh grade teacher turned neuroscientist. She advised us on Bored and Brilliant two years ago, and she's here to tell us what she's been researching since then at the Brain and Creativity Institute at the University of Southern California. It's fascinating. She's been studying the power of emotion to motivate kids and young people to learn, and also what happens to their learning process if they can't connect with those emotions because maybe they're distracted and connecting with their phones instead. These kinds of hiatuses can sometimes lead to these really revolutionizing sets of ideas and ways of thinking about problem spaces that can change your life. 
And I got to say, like, just listening to Jose, like, go through this epiphany, it wasn't Mm. like he was like, Eureka, I've discovered Mm. meaning in my life. No, it was, like, painful and hard. Yes, that's true. It's true. It's hard and it's tough. The psychologists, we call this openness to uncertainty. You have to stay in that place of not knowing and just be okay with that. Oh, but and it Mary will start Helen, to come together. Oh, but no, I just want to check Instagram. That would be so much nicer than I, I know. It would be a lot easier, that. right? Just slip into that and you can escape from this kind of uncertainty that feels really anxiety provoking if you're not used to it. But that is the seat of all artistic and scientific and social creativity. We often think about emotion as being kind of separate from clear-headed or rational thinking, but that's just a totally wrong way to think about it. Real thinking has to have a reason for being. You have to care enough to think about something deeply, and that caring process is, in effect, an emotional process. So how do you study something like this? I was particularly interested in that study you did on adolescents using media and social media in particular in L.A. Can you tell me about that study? We were looking at how the kids were using social media to connect with one another. And what we found is that kids who used social media to build relationships specifically were doing well, but kids who used social media in ways that weren't relational, so just, you know, engaging in these sort of more observing behaviors, were actually doing worse. If you're using it really strategically to meet your friend at a certain time to work on homework or something, then it's advantageous. But if you're using it just sort of idly in ways that are isolated, it doesn't seem like it's that great for adolescents. So what what sort of behavior were you observing? Like kids would be doing their homework and then, I don't know, checking Instagram and then going back to their homework or... So, you know, listening to music while doing your homework, texting your friend and surfing the internet is bad for you. <laughs> it's, it's bad for <laughs> you your achievement. It. It's bad for your brain development. Well, I don't know if we've proven it. Uh, You know, as a scientist, that word carries a lot of weight. Mm. But we've certainly demonstrated that there was a link in our kids between multitasking with social media and quality of thought, quality of memories, and ability to think complexly about self and the social world and futures. Did you think about how adults should take this information, whether they're (laughs) parents or teachers or maybe even for their own behavior? Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. We really want kids to be following their interests and also to be broadening what they're capable of being interested in by being exposed to things and to ways of thinking that they maybe wouldn't have stumbled into on their own. That is much more effective for promoting long-term success and for really supporting innovation in society because now— What do you mean by that? It gives people the license to notice things in their own community. They may be experiencing a problem with lack of access to some service, for example, and then finding ways to solve that problem becomes a source of innovation for not just them, but actually more broadly. So, for example, you don't have social media dinging at you at all times when you're trying to think and work, and you take time to be by yourself or with your family or doing things you enjoy that are relaxing. Those kinds of activities prepare the mind to think in more complex, effortful ways. So you can't just take your second grader and say, you should have time to think. Now from 10 until 10, 20, you're going to think, right? The kid's going to look at you like you've got two heads. But if the TV's not on and there's no social media around and, and the kid is naturally engaged in something, then they naturally come to a place where they enjoy thinking and working in these more deep, purposeful ways. And I think a lot of what we're doing with our kids today in society, the kinds of entertainment, the kinds of toys that talk, 
and sing and do stuff at you all the time, are training us to expect stimulation from the environment all the time. I mean, it just reminds me of some of the teenagers who did the project with us who said, I, I just, this sensation was really weird and awkward. I was like, what, you mean like being bored? Because, <laughs> you know, when you, when the mind seeks a stimulant, which it does right. often these days, they just look at their phone and they get it. Do we have to sort of bring back this capacity? Is it now something that we need to teach in some ways? It may be because you get literally a little hit in your brain every time you look at that cell phone and see if you got a new message or a new email. And so that becomes sort of addictive over time. And it can actually be clinically addictive in some people. So we need to be strategic about using our machines in ways that enable us to connect and to get information that we need, but that we also disengage from the kind of distraction at regular intervals. If you had a message for anyone listening to this, what should they do based on what you now know about how our brains are working? I would say challenge yourself to step back from the constant stream of stuff coming at you and actually sit down on your own or with other people you care about face-to-face and think with them about how things are and why things are and not fall into this trap of being steered by the things that other people are pushing you around with through social media and through other kinds of venues. We really need to start to engage with each other as human beings and get to know one another so that we build a society that's cohesive, where we understand who each other are and where we also come to experience our own self in a rich, complex way. Dr. Mary Helen Imordino-Yang, thank you so much. It was good to talk to you again. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's always fun. And thank you to all the wonderful listeners who did Bored and Brilliant the first time around or who've gotten their hands on the book and are giving it a go right now. I got to say, my heart has actually been doing a lot of soaring because I am on the Bored and Brilliant book tour, traveling around the country, extolling the virtues of changing your digital habits, getting a little more boredom into your life, and meeting lots of you in the process. So, so far, I have been to Austin and Raleigh. Next up, Chicago, Montclair, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, and Denver. You can get the full schedule at manoushz.com slash events. Oh, and get the book. Did I mention that I recorded the audiobook version? That was an exhausting, yet exhilarating experience. My butt fell asleep at least three times. Listen and let me know how I did. For now, the wonderful note to self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plord. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening.